So we have on Palm Sundays, you know, the triumphal entry, the palm branches, Jesus riding in on the, on the donkey and all that thing that sort of introduces the whole Holy Week and uh, the passion of Christ that is coming. And uh, as I, I thought about it, and, and this, this Sunday what we would talk about, I'm going to move forward about a day uh, from Palm Sunday, a day or two, uh, to this dinner that he had before the, before the uh, Passover dinner he had with his disciples that Jesus had. And I, and I picked this specifically because we've been going through, as a church, we've been going through First Peter, and we've been looking at the writing of the Apostle Peter uh, later in his life, this is 30, 35 years later now, past the time of Christ, and Peter writes this letter, and we've been really focusing on the Apostle Peter and his teaching. And so as I thought about this Sunday, I thought about the interaction of, of Peter and Jesus here in this Holy Week, in this time, and it brought me to John 13, uh, verses 1 to 10. And it is that moment when Jesus at this supper um, washes the feet of the disciples and Peter's reaction to that. And I thought that would be something good for us to look at as we go into uh, exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples and what he is teaching us in his final hours. And um, so we, we get to see that, and, I, and there's a lesson here for us. It's an important lesson, and we have preserved for us here in the Gospel of John this this sort of final formal lesson of Jesus. He spent three years now teaching the disciples, teaching those that were following him, um, uh, telling them who he was, trying to explain the kingdom of heaven to them, uh, doing teaching, teaching, teaching. They called him rabbi. They called him teacher. But here he is in one of his very last sort of formal lessons, one of, I think, maybe not the last lesson, but his most profound lesson in the final days of his life. And Jesus knows that there's very little time left. He spent these years with his disciples. He knows that some of the sheep are sort of getting it and that others of his sheep maybe have more wool between their ears than they do on their back and they're not all getting it. And Peter is one of those sheep that is hard to know whether he's getting it or not. And uh, he knows that in these final hours with his students and with his friends, with his disciples, before he goes to his agony on the cross... He's got something very, very important to teach, and that's what he teaches here in a very profound way. It's John 13, 1 to 10. He says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During dinner, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. And then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you can have no part with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed 
needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So the first thing I want to see as we look into this text, as Jesus teaches and as John portrays this, is the context that John puts it in, and this is important. He says in verse 1, he says, the full extent of his love. And so one of the keys to understanding this passage is how John begins it in this verse. He sets the stage. It's the location at the upper room, the approach of Jesus' death, and John is highlighting of Jesus' love for his own and how he loved them to the very end. And so what John is about to portray here and what he's showing in the teaching of Jesus is that this is born out of love. Okay, So this is that Jesus loved his own and that he loved them to the very end. And so we gather that what follows then as Jesus does this is an expression of that love. Okay, So that's just getting the context is that this is about love. It's about the love of Jesus. It's the expression of love from Jesus to those that are his. And in this case, specifically, the disciples in the present tense of this supper, but then the expression of Jesus' love to all those who are his. All those who are his, meaning us in our day, the believers in Jesus Christ. And so if you sit here today as a Christian, you get to tune your ears into this and realize that this is a lesson that Jesus is showing, that he's teaching, it's a demonstration of what he's showing to those that he loves and that he loves to the very end. And there's at least three things here that I think Jesus is teaching, probably more than that, but I picked out three, and one of which I think is the real heart of the matter or the main point. But we're going to cover all three in some fashion because Jesus is implicitly and explicitly teaching these three things. The first is the role of Jesus as a servant. We see that. So his his role or his taking on the role of a servant. Second, the example of Jesus as a teacher, him setting the example. And then thirdly, the cleansing power of Jesus as Savior. And so the first one, the role of Jesus as servant, it says that he got up from supper, in verse 4 there, he says he got up from supper and he laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself and then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so the first century context, which I'm sure many of you understand, you maybe have heard this sermon before, maybe others haven't heard this sort of illustration before, but the first century context here of Jesus taking on this role of a servant is that it was the servant's job or the slave's job to to wash the dirty feet. And not only are the feet dirty, but they're cut and they're bruised because people walked around in bare feet and they had open sandals and, you know, it was dusty and in Israel and, and lots of dirt and stones and things like that. So you had these really dirty sort of nasty feet that came in when people came into the house and they got washed immediately and uh, before dinner usually. But Jesus is using this as an illustration, so he's washing them here after they had come and eaten. But that also, the important thing to remember is that this was the role of a slave, And not just any slave, but specifically a Gentile slave. There's actually rabbinic teaching. The rabbis taught the Jews that if they had Jewish slaves, for whatever reason, economic or otherwise, that this was not a role for Jewish slaves. This was a role for Gentile slaves. And so this was basically the lowest form of service in the household was washing the feet of the guests who came in. Preserved for slaves and preserved exclusively for Gentile slaves, if you had that option. And so when we look at it today, if you were to sort of modernize it a little bit, I was trying to think about this, this would be something like going to a a formal dinner at the parliament building or whatever, and you're sitting there with uh, the prime minister and everybody's wearing their tuxedos and ball gowns and it's a formal dinner, 
And the prime minister gets up and takes off his bow tie, unties his bow tie, takes off his jacket, takes off the tuxedo shirt with all the ruffles, you know, takes off the cummerbund, takes off his pants, and then wraps a bath towel around himself and goes and starts to wash everybody's feet. Completely disrobes, puts on a bath towel, and starts to wash people's feet. And that's what's going on here. That's, that's, that's the picture that Jesus is showing. And so the first lesson that we get from this that Jesus is teaching is the demonstration of his, his cosmic role in becoming a servant of mankind for our salvation. And I say his cosmic role or his cosmic purpose deliberately because although Jesus is doing, he, he does come to serve humanity very practically, right? He comes and he, he heals people and he performs miracles and he, he teaches the word of God and, and he straightens out the places where we got the, the law wrong and the Pharisees were misinterpreting it and he teaches all of that stuff. He, he comes and serves very purposefully that way. But the picture that Jesus is painting here is the universal sense or the cosmic sense or the spiritual sense in which Jesus empties himself to become the form of a servant for us, for all of mankind. A transformative act of service. His death for the removal of the guilt and punishment of our sin. And so where I get that from is the Apostle Paul is looking back on what Jesus did and, and perhaps looking back on this very lesson. And in Philippians 2, 5-11, to he writes of Jesus, or writing to the people, but he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, which is why I talk about Jesus in the cosmic sense, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, or a bond slave, in other words, a willing slave, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this first layer of the lesson that Jesus is teaching here is he's saying, this is what I'm doing. I did not consider my equality with God something for me to hang on to and to grasp. But in the sense of the whole universe, in the sense of the whole position of God and mankind, Jesus emptied himself to take the form of a bond slave to serve mankind. And so he's teaching this lesson that Paul then reflects on later in Philippians, that Jesus is literally setting aside his dignity in order to become a servant, even to death. And he doesn't count his equality with God something to hang on to, but he becomes a slave willingly and obediently to the cross. And so maybe in the light of some of the disciples' minds, it just got a little bit brighter as they observed this, right? And, you know, and, then it, and then it finally dawned on them after the cross. That's when the disciples finally got it, right? Jesus says to Peter here, and this is why I think this is a piece of the lesson, because he says to Peter here, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And that's why I think this first layer of the lesson is this part that they couldn't get. They didn't know this until later. They didn't understand that Jesus as God was going to empty himself in a form of a slave and a servant to humanity in that manner, in that amazing sense that we think of Jesus going to the cross on our behalf to fix our relationship with God. And so Jesus says, you don't, you don't understand this part of the lesson right now, but you will understand it later. And so that's a picture of what Jesus is doing as he empties himself to serve his disciples. And then secondly, and this is the part of the lesson I think Jesus expected them to get, is the example of Jesus as a teacher. 
I think that alongside that sort of deeper cosmic meaning of his servanthood, of how he emptied himself, Jesus is giving a very practical lesson in serving, of how they are to serve. And this is the part of the lesson he expects them to get. And why do I say that? Well, if you go down a little bit farther than our text, if you just go to John 13, 13, he says in explanation, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you, gave you an example that you should do as I do. So he explained the lesson to them, right? He gave them the example, and then being a teacher, which is what they called them, and they should, he explained the lesson. He said, I'm doing this as an example for you. So you're not going to understand the bigger cosmic sense in which I'm doing this, but you'll get it later. The light will go on. But this second layer of the teaching is that I'm just teaching you how to serve one another. You guys should get this, right? Jesus expects you to understand this immediately, that you're to serve one another, that Jesus is demonstrating service to them. And that they can't serve one another in the first way that Jesus is serving. We can't serve one another in the way that Jesus serves mankind. I can't die for your sins. I have no possibility that any of us can atone for the wrongdoing of others. We can't serve each other in that way. But Jesus says there is a way in which you can serve, and it's this way. You can just serve each other. You can just practically humble yourselves and serve each other. And we've had lots of teaching on that. And let me just give you three quick things that you could take away from this very practical example of Jesus' lesson on serving. First of all, Jesus is serving in spite of who he is. So our service to others has no bearing on our position or our status or how great you know, we think we are. Jesus was their teacher and Lord, and they were right to call him that, but he still took off his outer garments and put on the waist cloth and washed their feet. Jesus is serving in spite of who he is. So that's one of the things you can take away from this lesson is that in spite of who Jesus was, he still served. And that's his example to the disciples. It doesn't matter how great you think you are. It doesn't matter what title you think you have. It doesn't matter how special you think you are. You can serve. Your position or your rank or your authority or whatever you think you have has no bearing on serving in the most humble ways. Part two of that lesson, I think, is Jesus is serving in spite of what he is facing. He's just days away from going to the cross. He's going to take the sins of all of humanity on himself on that cross and be beaten and mocked and mutilated and hung. And Jesus is facing this, and he knows exactly what he is facing, and not just a physical death, but the emotional, spiritual, relational, fundamental separation from his eternal Father that is going to be nothing like anybody can ever imagine. And yet despite that, what he was facing, he is still getting on his knees and serving the disciples. And so the second part we can take away is, is that what happens to be going on in our life has no bearing on our ability to serve. We can't say, oh, you know, I've had a really tough week. Somebody else can do that. Well, Jesus is having a tough week here too, okay? Right? And he's able to serve. And so whatever's going on in your week, I think we can find a way to humble ourselves and serve in spite of what we are facing. And then the third thing, Jesus is serving in spite of who he is. Jesus is serving in spite of what he is facing. Jesus is serving in spite of who they were. Jesus washed all their feet. Who's all? Who else is there? Judas. Yeah. He didn't come to Judas and say, hey, yeah, not you. Right? He washed all their feet. And so our service, as Jesus teaches us about serving humbly in the way that Jesus serves as a servant leader is, it doesn't matter who we are serving. Our service has no, isn't 
borne out by based, basically who we're serving. We don't get to say, well, you know, I like serving these people, so I'll serve them. This person's been really mean to me, or this person's been hurtful, or this person's, you know, done me wrong, and so, you know, I'm not going to serve them. Jesus didn't show any prejudice about who he served. He served all 12 equally. Judas got his feet washed too. And Jesus knew exactly what was going on in Judas's mind, right? Our text already tells us that. That Satan had already put it into Judas's mind to betray him. And Jesus already knew that. And so if you come from this text with, with three or four great lessons on how to be a servant, you wouldn't be wrong. Because Jesus is explicitly teaching that lesson here as well. The example is important. That we learn how to serve in the way that Jesus served. But there is a third thing. It's not just his cosmic servanthood that you know the disciples weren't really going to understand until later. And it wasn't really just his, his actual teaching of how the disciples should serve one another and then how we as Christians should serve one another. That, that was sort of two layers of the lesson. I think there's another layer of the lesson here too that he touches on. The third layer is the cleansing power of Jesus as Savior and is born out of love. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so this passage is really about Jesus' love of his people to the very end. It's a, very, it's a lesson on love. And here's what I think Jesus is teaching on love and on his cleansing power as our Savior. The act of him washing the disciples' dirty feet and of washing feet tells us a few things about love. The first thing it tells us is that love is not just tolerance. And we sort of get that today right if if you love me then you'll just you'll tolerate me or you'll just accept me the way that i am and 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 even if we and we won't really engage and that's how tolerance is largely practiced today it's not really love it's actually just sort of a lazy form of hate it's indifference it's not caring you know it's sort of you do what you want and i'll do what i want and i won't judge you for what you do and i also won't try to change you i'll just be indifferent to it i'll just tolerate it and that's supposed to be me showing love to you it's just tolerating you the way that you are when in fact it's the most unloving thing you can do to a person is to be indifferent to how they are. right? I was watching a TV show once. It was well, I can't even remember which one it was. It was a long time ago. But there was a line in it that struck me. Uh, it was a boyfriend or girlfriend or something, and they had had some sort of relationship. And the boyfriend was upset, saying, you know, I don't want you to hate me. And the girl, it's very cold. <laughs> the girl said, I don't hate you. I don't care enough to hate you. I nothing you. Wow, that's cold. That's why it stuck with me. <laughs> but it stuck with me for this. That's kind of like tolerating, right? Like, I neither love you nor hate you. I nothing you. I'm not going to speak into your life. I'm not going to judge what you do. I'm not going to have an opinion on it. I'm not going to um, try and change you. I won't speak up. I won't give you advice. I won't stop you from doing whatever you want. I will nothing you. I just... And that's supposed to be love. We just don't do anything for each other at all. Have no opinion at all even when we can see the consequences of other people's actions, even when we can see the lies they're telling themselves, even if we can see the deception that they're under, even if we can see the dirt on their feet, we'll just do nothing, and that's supposed to be love. And what this lesson is, is Jesus says, love isn't that. Love says, I see your dirty feet, and I will get in there hands-on. I will engage with you, and this relationship will involve hands-on interpersonal contact where we are going to take care of each other. Love is not indifference. Love is not just tolerance. Love is actively engaging. It's using wisdom to guard and protect its object. It wants to influence change in areas that need changing. It wants to clean what needs cleaning. 
And so as Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, he says to Peter, if I do not wash you, you will have no part of me. If I don't clean you, you won't be clean. I have to get my hands on your dirty, bruised, messy life and wash it. My love, the love of Jesus, engages with your life. My love is not going to leave you cut and bruised and dirty and messy. My love is going to engage with your life and clean it up and love it in such a way that sees you transformed and sees you changed. And so the first lesson about Jesus' love is it's not indifferent. It's not just tolerance. It's engaged. It's hands-on. The second thing is it's not just romantic love. And that's kind of a funny word today, romance. The, the word romance has sort of a, it's had a really wide meaning in the past, and its meaning today has really narrowed down. When we think about romantic love, we now typically think of sort of physical desire as romantic love. But romantic love is actually much broader, right, if you think about the romantic period in history and uh, in art. The idea of romance is much broader. Somebody could be desired emotionally or because they're smart or because they're funny or because they're successful. There's, there's many reasons people feel a romantic attraction to people. But romantic love at its root is actually a type of self-satisfaction. I love you because of how you make me feel. That's romantic love. And Jesus is saying that's not this kind of love. It's not I love you because of how you make me feel or you satisfy what I need because romantic love at its heart is really a hunger. And it's you satisfying something in me. I'm hungry for something and you fill that hunger. That's romantic love. But this love, this love that God has, real love, is love that is present when you have nothing to offer. When it's you who has to give them and not just feed your own hunger or take what you want. But the love of Jesus shows us is the love of caring and serving when he can't be offered anything in return. What can Peter offer Jesus? What can the disciples offer Jesus? What can we offer God? Nothing. God's love for us is not a romantic kind of love. It's not a, a need that he needs satisfied. It's not a desire that he has that, that, that we fulfill for him. The love of Jesus to his disciples was him showing love to people who could not return him anything. He was completely self-satisfied in his relationship with the Father. And there was nothing they could give to satisfy him. And so neither can our love be based on our own hunger. We have to love each other even though the other people have nothing to give us back. Even though there's nothing they can offer us, we still love in the way that Jesus, is, Jesus loved. Not out of our hunger or our need to get something from somebody else, but because God has completely satisfied us in our need for love and then we can love others without desiring something from them. Because if romantic love is left uncontrolled, if we just love based on getting from other people, meeting, having our desires met, having our hunger fulfilled, then we ultimately are consuming those that we say we love and consequently we are always feeling hungry for more and that's not real love. Real love finds its roots in what you offer to other people without anything in return. And then thirdly and finally, this is the point that we get to in Jesus' love and his cleansing power. It's the love of substitution. It's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you or put yourself in the other person's shoes. Love ultimately treats others as we want to be treated. And we have a hard time loving people who are abrasive, right? We have a hard time loving people who maybe are bossy or we have a hard time loving people whose lives are really messy or just who keep acting foolishly and doing dumb things or even people who hurt us. It's hard for us to love. But when we do dumb things, when we do foolish things, when our life is messy, we want other people to love us still, right? 
right? We, we don't want our messy life to cause other people to stop loving us, but we find it difficult to love others in their messy life. And so the love of Jesus is this substitutionary love. It's the love that says, I can put myself in your shoes, and my life can be just as messy and just as dirty and just as messed up, and I want to be loved when I'm in that situation, and so I'm going to love people who are in that situation. I can screw up. I can do something stupid. I can say something mean. I can hurt somebody, and I hope that they still love me and will forgive me. And so if somebody does that to me, then I have to put myself in the same place and hope that I can love them. And that's what Jesus does. This is the ultimate love, substitutionary love of Jesus on the cross. This is what Jesus says. He says, look, I get it. I know you can't love like this. You've called me teacher, and I've taught you all these things. I've taught you all these lessons for the last three years about love and how to care for one another, and I know you're not all getting it, and you don't have the capacity to love in the way that isn't selfish or hungry or isn't just tolerance. I get. Jesus says, I get it. You can't love this way. So I have one more act of love for you, Jesus says. There's one more thing I can do. And it's not a lesson, and it's not an example. This is the teaching at at the deepest layer, I think, of what's going on here with the foot washing. Because it's not just a, a picture of what he's doing cosmically. It's not just an example of how we're to serve each other. It's what Jesus is actually doing. I have this one more lesson for you, this one more act of love. I will put myself in your place. I have come to put myself in your shoes. And I've taken on your human skin, and I'm going to take on your human sin. And I'm going to substitute myself for you out of love so that I can wash you, so that you can be clean, so that you'll be capable of this kind of love because you will not be capable of it unless I substitute myself for you. And this isn't just an object lesson. This isn't just a theological conversation about who I am and who God is. It's so much more than that, Peter. Unless you are washed, you can't have any share of me. Unless I substitute myself for you so that I can actually clean up all of you, you will have no part of what I am. You will have no ability to love the way I call you to love. And so I have this one more act of love for you because I'm going to love you to the end. And so Jesus goes to the cross And this is a picture of what he's accomplishing on the cross, this cleansing, this washing. And Peter spells it out. He says, wash my head, wash my hands, wash all of me if you're going to wash me. And Jesus says, you're clean, I've washed you. I just got to wash your feet so that you can be clean. Isaiah 118, Isaiah speaking prophetically hundreds and hundreds of years before this time. He says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. This was God's plan all along. He was going to wash his people clean, white as snow, white as wool. And so Peter gets it now. So he says, then wash all of me. Wash my hands and my head. And Jesus says, you are bathed. You only need to wash your feet. And then you'll be completely clean. Once you are washed clean, I just have to keep washing you. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching that he has to wash us by what he does, substitutionary on the cross, and then that as as his disciples, he has to keep washing our feet. He has to keep cleaning our feet all the time because the world is sticky. 
And so for you today, as you're sitting here, if you're a Christian today, maybe you're like Peter and Jesus has washed you. And we can even protest like Peter and say, no, Jesus, you know, I don't want you to wash my feet. I don't want you to get into those messy areas of my life. There are dirty parts of me that I do not want you touching. And you protest like Peter and you say, Jesus, you, you know, don't touch that part of my life. But Jesus does the same thing to you. Yeah, you're clean, but that part of your life that you don't want me near, you're cut, you're bruised, your stinky feet, whatever they are, Jesus says, I got to wash those too. I got to keep cleaning those because this world is sticky and it keeps sticking to you. And your sin is sticky. And you go out in your day and you go out in your week and you come in for dinner and your feet are dirty because it just keeps sticking. And Jesus says, I got to go into those areas of your life and I have to keep washing you so that you can be completely clean. But maybe you've never experienced the whole washing. Maybe you've never experienced this substitutionary atonement a sort of fancy Christian word for the replacement of Jesus to pay for our sins. And so you've been sitting here maybe week after week or you've been going through your life and you've never really felt clean. And Jesus says, I can wash all of you. I did that on the cross. And you're wondering how you could ever feel clean and God could ever love you for what you've done and, and, and how much and how you've thought and how much you've disdained him or hated him or had arrogance towards him. And you've never been washed But the lesson here for Jesus is that you can be totally washed, you can be totally clean, that Jesus did everything that needed to be done for you to be clean, and you just have to lay down your sword and your rebellion and your anger and your resistance, and as you lay down your resistance, accept the promise of Jesus, accept the promise of this lesson as truth, that Jesus means what he's teaching here, that he has washed and can wash you clean. And all the shame and all the guilt and all the hurt and all the sinful behavior can just be washed right away. Though your sins are red as crimson, they can be made white as snow. And that's the final lesson of Jesus to us. That his substitution for us, him putting himself in our shoes to go on the cross, to suffer the death that we should have died, cleanses us of our sin. And then even as his disciples, he needs to be there day after day after day washing our feet. He needs to be in that part of your life that you say like Peter, no, Jesus, don't touch that. That's the part he wants to touch. That's the part he wants to wash. And so the lesson here is, yeah, Jesus emptied himself as God. He he became a servant to all mankind. That's a great lesson. And the lesson here is how do we serve each other, wash each other's feet in spite of who we are, in spite of what we're going through, in spite of who it is we're serving, where to serve. That's a great lesson too. But there was another thing that was going on here that Jesus wanted to get across, his final act of love to the very end, to his disciples. His final act of love was, I'm putting myself in your shoes so that I can cleanse you, so that you can be washed clean. That's his lesson. That's what he's teaching. That's what we need to take away from today. So wherever you're sitting, whether you need the whole washing or whether you're a disciple like Peter and and just need your feet cleaned, Jesus is saying, I need to keep washing you. Let me into your life. Let me at those areas that need cleaning so that you can be fully clean. That is the love of Jesus to his people to the end. The cleansing love. And that's the love that we celebrate this week. And even celebrate now as we come to communion. Let's just pray. Father God, as we come to this communion supper now, I hope that as I've studied it, others will sort of pick up on 
what you revealed to me even this week as I, as I read and reread what Jesus was teaching. Amazing, amazing. That we are cleansed by his blood. That we have a new covenant in his body and blood on the cross. That we have a new relationship possible with you. A relationship where we are presented to you spotless, clean. If we will just allow Jesus into our life to wash us. And so, Father, I pray that today. I pray that for myself. I pray that for everyone sitting here. That as we come to this communion table, as we come to this supper, we remember what it really represents. Jesus put himself in our place. He was our substitute to take on the sin and the guilt and the shame that is rightfully ours. And there is nothing we can offer him in return. He loves us without being able to get anything back. Father, it's amazing. Amazing grace. Just pray that as we take communion now, you will settle in each of our hearts our right relationship with you. Wash us clean again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.